Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. About a decade ago, I led a mission trip to Haiti, and one of the guys I brought with me was named Ben, and he's just a big human. He's six foot seven, lifts a ton of weights, one of the toughest people I've ever met. One time we got stranded with like 40 people in a broken down bus in the South Texas wilderness on a hundred plus degree day, and Ben decided he'd just give his water away because he didn't need water. He's Ben. When he was in college, Ben got appendicitis around finals time. But he wasn't about to let the searing pain affect his grades, and so he just decided he was going to wait it out. And then his appendix exploded, and he finished all of his tests and then drove himself to the hospital. Like, just a different breed of human. And one night in Haiti, we decided to go tarantula hunting. And clearly, if we found and caught one, it was going to be Ben that actually picked it up, because I'm not tough enough or stupid enough to try that. I just like inspiring my friends to make bad decisions. And so we went out and we found some baby tarantulas. We actually managed to catch one in a bucket. And then we saw the Mac Daddy tarantula, the biggest insect I've ever seen in my entire life. It looked like a chihuahua. And we're just like, oh. And Ben's like, I'm going to get it. But he threw on some like real thin gardening gloves first because tarantulas can't bite through cotton. It's not true. I don't even know why you bother with the gloves. But we cornered this thing against a wall. And as Ben got closer and closer, it kind of curled into a little ball. And we were like, oh, maybe that's a defense mechanism that'll make it easy to grab. But when his hand was about three inches away, it exploded out of the little ball, legs out, fangs out, like toward his hand. And I'll never forget this moment, as long as I live, Ben screamed like a little girl at the top of his lungs, high pitch, turned around, sprinted five steps into a tree and just <laughs> laid him out. And then he wiggled on the ground and got to his feet real quick because he couldn't see it. It's pitch black in Haiti and he was worried the tarantula was hunting him. And it's a warm moment in my heart <laughs> that has always reminded me No matter how big and tough people look on the outside, fear is a universal human experience. It affects all of us. And fear isn't all bad or always bad. Like being afraid of a poisonous spider that's jumping at your hand is fair. Sometimes fear keeps us from doing dumb things that will hurt us. But I think all of us know what it's like. We know what it looks like and what it feels feels like to have fear cripple us and cut us off from the lives God says he has for us and the dreams he's placed inside our hearts. And that happens because when we're afraid, we tend to stay put and shrink back. We build boundaries around our lives that are smaller and smaller and smaller because the smaller the boundaries, the more control we feel we have over our situation. And we want control when we, fear, when we feel afraid because fear is based on vulnerability. From the very first moment it entered the human story, it's been about the fact that we're vulnerable. If we rewind all the way to Genesis, we find Adam and Eve sinning, rebelling against God, and immediately feeling afraid. Why? They recognized they were naked. 
They realized they were vulnerable. See, when they were connected completely and intimately to the source of their strength, God, they had no vulnerability at all. But the moment they rejected God and broke that connection, they were vulnerable and they were afraid. And because fear is tied to our sin and the vulnerability that our sin creates, we're never going to get rid of fear. But if we don't fight it, if we let it win, then our fears become our fences. It's really easy to let fears become fences that hold us back from connecting to the source, that keep us from taking possession of his provisions and from stepping into the story he's trying to write. And so today, I want to talk about how we fight fear. We're in the middle of a series about the life of the prophet Elijah and about how God kept calling him to do difficult things. He bursts onto the scene in 1 Kings 17 when God gives him a fairly adversarial message to deliver to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They had been leading God's people astray, forcing them to worship this idol named Baal, who they called the Lord of the dew and rain. And God had Elijah show up in their court and say, no more dew, no more rain. We're going to figure out who's the real Lord of this stuff. I'm sending a drought until I say so, because I want to draw people's faith back from this toxic idol to myself. And the king and queen didn't like that very much, and so they decided they should probably murder Elijah. And God had him go hide out in a ravine where he provided a brook for him and ravens to deliver his food. And then that dried up, so God sent him to a foreign nation where he had a widow provide for him. And now God shows up in his story Again, we're going to be in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 1. So if you have a Bible handy this morning, you can open it up there. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen. And if you need one or your kids need one, please grab one from the Next Steps table before you go. They're free. They're our gift to you. But here's what I want us to know. Like as we jump into this passage, it's been a long time since the day Ahab told, or Elijah told Ahab and Jezebel, it's not going to rain until I say so. And that long time has caused a famine. Like the drought led to a famine, which has not left them feeling any less murdery toward Elijah. They have literally been hunting him for years. This is what we read. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. A quick time out. Again and again, God keeps calling Elijah to go do increasingly difficult things, like deliver a message to the royal family who isn't going to hear that message. Hide out in a ravine and trust some birds to door dash your food. Uh, go to a pagan nation where they probably want you dead and believe that I'm going to use a widow to provide for you. Like none of that's easy, but this one is like, go back and uh, stand before that guy who's been hunting you. I don't know about you, but if I were Elijah, I wouldn't have been real excited to follow. I'm like, ah, not this time, Lord. But what he's learned repeatedly is that when we go where God guides, he always provides. Always. The catch, though, is that we got to go. We can't let fear become a fence that prevents us from even making the journey if we want to see how God's planning to show up for us. You guys, taking possession of God's provision often requires winning a battle against fear. And I wonder today for all of us, whether there are some things God might be calling us to that fear is keeping us from going to. Like, What is it in your life that God's been tugging at your heart for that you're a little bit afraid to step out in faith and trust him for? 
whether it's a conversation that you need to have, a career move you need to make, a school you need to apply to, a friend you need to invite to church, an amount you need to release your death grip on and give, a space you need to serve, a relationship that needs to change or something entirely different, what I can promise you is even though it might be scary to follow, God's got something for you if you go. But you gotta go if you're ever gonna know what that something is. And Elijah knew that. And so we read, Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. You want to talk about fighting fear to follow God? How about Obadiah, right? Like this dude knew Jezebel would take not just his position, but his life like that if she found out he was worshiping the true God instead of all and saving his prophets. And yet he did it anyway. And it's fascinating why. First Kings 18 tells us that he did it because he had deep faith, which is not a terrible translation, but literally in the Hebrew, it's Yare Yehovah Ma'od. He feared God greatly. He did this because he feared God greatly. Now, did he fear Ahab and Jezebel? Of course he did. They were mean and awful, and they killed a lot of people, and they were scary, but he feared God more. And so he was willing to be obedient to what God called him to, despite the fact that there was a very real potential cost in his life. And part of the reason for that that we need to understand is that his fear of God was different than his fear of Jezebel. Like disobeying the queen was a fear that was kind of like a, I don't know what might happen to me if I do this type fear. But not following God's call was a, I don't know what might not happen to my world if I don't do this type fear. It was like what might I and everybody else around me miss out on if I'm not willing to be obedient. The Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And we don't often think like wisdom and life and fear go together. But here's what we got to understand about the fear of God. It's not about avoiding punishment as much as it is about discovering life. There's an element to fearing God that's like acknowledging he's holy and he's other and he's powerful and he's big and we're not. But that shouldn't inspire terror in us. It should inspire hope and excitement that we get to be a part of the story he's writing and a fear of missing out on that story. It's like FOMO. It's fear of missing out. Spiritual FOMO is the reason Obadiah risked his life to save those prophets because he's like, I so desperately want to know what God's doing in the world. I'm about to be a part of it no matter what it costs me. So that's what's going on. And then one day Ahab comes to him. So Ahab said to Obadiah, all right, go through all the land, all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we won't have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction, Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. 
That seems like a simple sentence to say, right? Like he was actually traveling back to Israel to have this conversation. But I don't want us to underestimate the guts it took for Elijah to say, go tell Ahab I'm here. Like he could have absolutely chickened out. Seen Obadiah and like, what's up, man? How are things? They're dry and hungry? No way. I didn't see that coming. Anyway, keep this on the down low. I don't know yet whether I want to see Ahab. I'm kind of liking breathing, right? But he didn't. He had a Jake and Elwood blues moment. And he's like, all right, I'm on a mission from God. Tell your boy I'm back. And Obadiah heard that and he's like, no. Mm-mm. No, what, what did I do wrong? You're trying to kill me? I'm not, you know, he's been everywhere. He looked through all the nations. And any one of them was like, he's not here. He like made them swear that. So you think I'm going to go tell him that you're here and then God's going to disappear you? I don't know where the spirit of God might carry you off to if I said that. If I tell him that you're here and then suddenly you're not here because that feels like a thing God has been doing for you for three years, then he's going to kill me now. And it's fascinating. Obadiah, this like hero of the faith who's been saving prophets' lives, suddenly finds himself in a battle between fear and faith. He's worried he's going to end up on the wrong side of a miracle. He's going to go tell Ahab, hey, Elijah's back. And then poof, God's going to disappear Elijah. And Ahab, poof, is going to disappear Obadiah's head. God has never been unfaithful to Obadiah. He has literally zero reason to believe this will happen other than he imagined it in his brain. And now it's just crippling him because it could happen. And this is a really incredible picture of something I want all of us to understand this morning. Worry is a misuse of your imagination. Worry is a misuse of your imagination. See, fear comes from our vulnerability, but it also comes from this incredible place inside us that's part of what makes us human. That's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. We're set apart from every other creature on this planet by our ability to hold reality and unreality in our minds at the same time. We can know what's real and what's not real and hold them in tension and discern between them in a way that no animal can. And that allows us to dream about a future that does not yet exist and then use the God-given abilities that have been placed inside of us to go out and create that future. But see, that same space in us that allows us to imagine, that allows us to, to dream, that allows us to watch Marvel movies without like looking to the sky wondering, is Thanos actually going to attack? Like, we, don't, we don't believe that. That same space that allows us to collect information and project a better future also allows us to imagine horrible, terrifying, awful, painful stuff that might happen. Fear is a future-based emotion and it's a byproduct of the human ability to look ahead. And to kill it completely would mean losing the part of our souls that God knit into us, which enables us to dream and imagine and hope. And so because we're vulnerable and sinful and because we're built to hope and we're built to look ahead and we're built to dream about the future, we are never, ever, ever going to get rid of fear completely, but we can fight against it. And if we don't fight against it, if we don't actually believe that God's voice matters more than the voice of our fears, then it will cripple us all our lives as we misuse our imaginations and allow fear to be a fence that keeps us 
from the great things God wants to do in and through us. Because somehow, somewhere, deep down, we've stopped trusting a God who has never been anything but trustworthy. And this is kind of where Obadiah is at. And he's about to do something I do. He's about to make an excuse for why it's okay this time and describe why his past faithfulness means his present fearfulness is not a problem. He looks at Elijah and says, hey, ma'am, I've been worshiping the Lord since my youth. Didn't you even hear what I did? Jezebel was killing prophets. I saved them. I saved all their lives. And so, like, tell Ahab you're here. Not this time. Uh Uh-uh. And I so relate to this. Like, have any of you ever had God tug at your heart for something and felt like he was leading you to it and been like, I did the last one. I was like, I, I have a bank of good deeds. Can I, just, can, I just rely, can I just skip this one? I feel like I've, I've done enough at this point that I shouldn't have to do this one. Anyone else? I feel like a lot of us have been there because fear is very real. And then we follow God and then we stop following God. And that's the exact spot that Obadiah is in. He's like, I've done it in the past, but this one feels like a step too far. And the thing about his life and our lives is like fear's just with us. It's part of our vulnerability and part of our ability to imagine and to dream and to hope. And so it's not going away. It's just going to be there. And if we want to win, if we want to step into the lives and the futures God called us to, we have to fight against it regularly. Again and again and again and again and again and again. That's true for us, and it was true for Obadiah. And so Elijah recognizes that. He gives him a little grace, and he says, Hey, man, I want to calm and quiet your fears. As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. I just think this is so cool because Elijah made a conscious choice to go stand before a man who very publicly wanted him dead. I think sometimes we read Bible stories and we hear about these heroes and we're like, man, they were so courageous. They were so brave. David and Elijah and Peter and Paul, they just kept doing amazing things and they weren't afraid of it. And I think that's a lie. It would be a mistake to read this story without understanding that Elijah was absolutely afraid to go stand before the king and queen. I bet in this moment, and he's like, all right, man, I'm going to stand before him today. His anxiety felt like it was crushing him because he did not know whether he would be alive the next day. And yet, Like despite the fact that Elijah was afraid to do what God called him to do, he was more afraid to be disobedient and not see what wouldn't have happened if he didn't go. So he went. He lived with spiritual FOMO and he showed up and what happened next rewrote the story of a nation. It changed the game for millions of people And we're going to talk about it next week. So please don't miss next week. You're going to want to be here. But here's what I want us to take away this morning. On a day when we watched a bunch of people stand up in the public square and get baptized, on a day when we watched people take a bold step of faith, despite the fact that it's a little scary to stand on a stage in front of this many people, it's a little scary to share your story. On a day when they did that, on Baptism Sunday, I want to encourage all of us to boldly follow God wherever he leads because 
when we go where he guides, he always provides. Every single time. And I really do believe that God wants to write a better story for your world, that God wants to change the game and change the future for the people you're crashing into if you will just allow him to work through you. But you got to fight out ahead of you to bring hope and love and healing to an increasingly hopeless, hateful, broken world. And it's going to be scary to engage that fight every single time. But here's what I want every single one of us to know. Our God is bigger than our fears. And so, man, my prayer is that we'll be people as individuals and we'll be a community as Revision Church who just live with spiritual FOMO. Say, man, taking that next step, doing that thing that God is talking to my heart for is scary, but I am more afraid about the people who won't meet Jesus. I'm more afraid to think about the story that won't be written. I'm more afraid to think about the change that won't happen if I don't follow. So God, I'm all in. Like what if we lived all in? I think what we'd find is that the God who is at work to set all things right and make all things new will use us in incredible ways and we'll get a front row seat to what he's doing to heal up our shattered world. And so my challenge to all of us is just live with spiritual FOMO. Let's go all in and see what God does. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for inviting us to be a part of your story. Thank you for showing up for us, not always in the ways that we expect, not always in the ways that we wanted, but for showing up and providing every time we step into the calling you've placed upon our lives. And I pray for all of us. Lord, all of us who are regularly crippled by fear, I am. All of us who sometimes feel that tug at our hearts and think, I don't know if I wanna pay that cost. God, that we would fear you more greatly than we fear the cost, that we'd fear you more greatly than we fear the world, that we'd fear you not in a terrified way, but in a hopeful way, and that we'd be more afraid of what might not happen in our world if we don't follow than we are of what might happen to us if we do. Lord, would we be a people of of spiritual FOMO who go out, who follow and who, like Elijah and like Obadiah, experience your beauty and your blessing and your provision, and then spread that to our broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.